Attention, attention please, stand by for another episode of When Humanists Attack. Hi, this is Chris West from When Humanists Attack. We are a 51c3 not-for-profit religious organization in the state of Vermont, founded on secular humanist basis, and all the content of this video is a part of the project under that 501c3. We're going to have an interview today with Mendisa Thomas from Black Nonbelievers, and I'd like to welcome Mendisa Thomas. Mendisa, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Chris. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us. I can see behind you have a sign. You guys are, are right up to your 10th anniversary. So just give a little bit of background on what Black Nonbelievers is and why you started it. Absolutely. So Black Nonbelievers is another 501c3 nonprofit organization headquartered in the Atlanta area, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and we are an organization that connects, uh, builds community for, and increases the representation for Blacks uh, who are atheists or um, who, I, who also identify with um, similar secular uh, humanist labels. And uh, we also uh, provide support for those who are questioning religion in favor of leaving uh, because it can be such a challenge within the black community because it's still so very highly religious to, um, you know, to openly identify as an atheist or non-believer. And it became necessary back in 2011 to, uh, to uh, start an organization uh, in Atlanta that uh, really, really started to bring more of us together to foster community, to increase networking and to provide support for those who needed it. Tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little about uh, your when you where you grew up. How what was your family like? What led you on the path towards towards your current non-belief? Absolutely. So I am not a Georgia native. I am a New York City native, born and raised in Jamaica, Queens. I was actually not formally raised in a religious household. Um, my maternal grandmother, my maternal grandparents, uh, for that matter, were pretty non-religious. They were um, pretty accepting of uh, varied perspectives. And I can recall many holidays where there were there was no prayer over meals. Um, most of like the Easter's were very secular. And so, uh, and I also was raised um, directly in what is considered a black nationalist or black conscious household, which some would consider woke now. Um, I learned a lot about black history and culture growing up. I learned also about institutional racism, which did include learning how Christianity was forced on the enslaved Africans and their descendants. And so, uh, I, I really had a a, a a childhood that was rooted in education and awareness, um, and I consider myself lucky, uh, especially growing up in New York. Uh, however, I did not escape uh, religion. I did not escape the church. I'm a classically trained singer and had been singing in various churches with my voice instructor since I was five. And so I remember being uh, exposed sort of as an outsider to religion in the church and, and, and remembering that none of the doctrine or, or the teachings made any sense and that it also seemed to be binding, uh, confining, and also kind of scary. 
And as I grew up and as I saw the impact that religion in the church has on people, particularly within the Black community, it only it only served to strengthen my uh, my non-belief, you know, my atheism. For a time, I identified as spiritual, um, but not religious. But um, over time, I really came to the atheist identity and sought community and ultimately ended up being a part of building it, which um, I attribute to my upbringing and being outspoken and, and being militant and also being very creative. So all of those factors really played a part in uh, where I am today. So in 2011, you started Black Nonbelievers. Were you the sole person behind the, the, the formation or did you have a group or a little about that would be interesting. Actually, I, I am the founder of the national entity. Black Nonbelievers as a group was co-founded locally as Black Nonbelievers of Atlanta in 2011. The intention actually was to just stay local to Atlanta because there were other entities. You had African-Americans for Humanism, which was under the Center for Inquiry. There was also Black Atheists of America, which was based out of New York and also Black Skeptics Los Angeles. So we really only sought to be local to the Atlanta area to build up that community, to increase the networking there and also to work with other local organizations. Um, however, uh, as time went on, uh, that later on that same year, uh, and uh, some of the you know the the original um, founding team uh, stepped away, uh, we really got to a point where we saw the the need for to expand to a national organization. And so from there was where we really started to reach out uh, to other organizations and to other people across the country. It's always a team effort. Yeah. But yes, I led the charge on the national, uh, you know, the, the national scope. There's something that you said when you were talking about uh, the impetus behind starting uh, Black Nonbelievers Atlanta and then, and then going national. You said the problems of belief within the African-American community. And I know what I think of when I hear that or when I think about it. But I'm interested in, in knowing what you thought the downsides were to belief within the African-American community. If we look at the history and traditions of the Black community, we know that the church has been played a huge part in that. Building community and also in the representation, the number of people in the Black community who still believe, especially in Christianity. Part of that is attributed to having said um, religion forced on on the, on the enslaved Africans, uh, as well as uh, again their their children and their and their descendants, and uh, part of the problem with that belief and why so many still believe in it is because it is a it is a serious paradox. You know, this is the religion that pretty much enslaved us. This is the institute, this is the religion that is responsible for institutional uh, racism, white supremacy, and, and other, uh, and, and other um, things that we deal with, other disparities. And so for our communities to hold it in such high regard, and we still have to face, you know, the, these other challenges that we are still seeing here in society, uh, it, it, it's exhausting and it's a bit disheartening to see so many still hold on to the church as being 
almost the sole sense of representation or support within the Black community, which hasn't always been the case. There have, there's always been diversity and, and people who have rejected these beliefs uh, and these institutions. But the fact that there are still, so, there's still such a majority and to be Black and, and to openly say that you are rejecting, uh, you're, you're going against a very powerful machine because um, you know you, you you see so many people who come from the church and they and their religious community is so large that it wields a lot of influence and when you try to have these conversations I mean it's expected for many in a black community that someone who is non-black to let go of belief in God but when you are someone who is of the community and and who is black then it's it's much it can be considered much more damning uh also at the same time it's it's very curious because there we, we're still so fewer in number that it's intriguing to see those of us who openly identify as an atheist or non-believer so there's a lot more curiosity there but at the same time we also need to have this discuss this critical discussion of of the church in our community and how it now is almost like this this burden to us whether it's emotionally financially and also as a as a community um and and this is this is just something that we can't ignore anymore i imagine the majority of people that 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 you interact with in the african-american community are christians but there's also a very large non-Christian but still theist community within African-American culture, uh, the, the Black Muslims and Islam in general, but, and, and Yoruba and all these other streams. Um, what's your take on, on the, the place of not Black non-believers within the, the larger, uh, say, ecology of Black culture? It's really well past the time, and we've been working towards this, that we take our rightful place within our communities because we've always been there. We, as an organization and as individuals, we educate on the number of very iconic um, Black um, historical figures who were actually non-believers and who actually uh, challenged the institution of the church. W.E.B. Du Bois, for example, who was one of the co-founders of the NAACP. And we see that, you know, that that is an organization that is still very highly religious, even though their foundations are rooted in free thought. Uh, we also look to Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who was the founder of Negro History Week, uh, which later turned into Black History Month. He was also a, a critical, um, a critical um, uh, figure in uh, in free thought and and challenging religion. Uh, we can also look to um, people like Lorraine Hansberry, Zora Neale Hurston, and Butterfly McQueen, who openly stated her atheism uh, and strongly stated it. And so these are often the people who either are forgotten about or that aspect of their legacy is omitted. It is part of our duty as, as an organization and as people who are representing secularism, atheism, and non-belief to re-educate folks on, on, this, on this history. It isn't something that they have to take our word for. It, it's right. pretty much right out there. There's so, an actual um, history, uh, a long absolutely. tradition. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, it, and, and it also helps for others 
in other in, in many communities to understand that there are more black folks out here who don't believe who are questioning those beliefs and they're actually leaving them behind uh, especially more millennials now and uh, this has been the case for years, for centuries, uh, even if folks want to ignore it. Um, so we are now taking our rightful place and, and expanding the narrative and also reshaping it, which is something that for those who champion religious freedom is what this is all about. Right. Yeah, religious freedom is is key. I, I love the, the ter- use of the term free thinkers because I think it's just one of those terms that's underused. Um, it, within the atheist and, and secular humanist communities, it's the only of the terms that really makes me go, oh, thinking freely, that's a good thing. I mean, atheist, okay, right, and, and humanist, yeah, and secular, great, but I'm thinking free, that's a thing I can do. Right? Yes, and, and that, is a, that is a thing that the religious community warned you about. Beware of those free thinkers, right? Beware of those who challenge, you know, the, the dogma, who, who challenge the, you know, the status quo. You know, we're the ones that they fear the most. Yeah. Uh, so, that's, yes. That's true in, in all <laughs> across all of those lines, right? If I say the word atheist to some people, that's as big a trigger as Satanist or, yes. or humanist, right? <laughs> yes. uh, that can be a really big one. I wanted to know more about the breadth and, and extent of Black non-believers at this time. We have affiliates now. We have active affiliates in the Washington, D.C. area, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, in Detroit, Michigan, in New York City, my, home, our, my hometown. Uh, we also have affiliates in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, Louisville, Kentucky, Orlando, Florida, and Portland, Oregon. Uh, so yes, we have um, expanded uh, beyond Atlanta for sure. And um, that is something that was, um, you know, that was one of the reasons why we expanded because there was interest in starting similar groups in different cities. And even though there were other organizations that were similar to ours, they weren't doing exactly what we were doing. We were meeting regularly. We were um, going out and tabling and actually being active and engaging people and meeting them one-on-one, meeting them in person. And so that made a difference. And many people wanted to do the same thing or similar. And so we were building a model of community building that others wanted it to replicate in their own areas. What is your outreach program? How do you contact or how do you gain uh, more uh, access to people who might be interested in joining your organization? We are very active on social media. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Uh, we act- I actually get a co-host a, a quarterly radio program here in the Atlanta area, which is on uh, FM radio. Uh, that, that also helps with our outreach. Uh, I personally uh, contact, I personally respond to people who contact us on our website. We have been uh, contacted for numerous uh, interviews, numerous uh, media appearances over the years. We've been featured on CNN twice. We've been featured on CBS Sunday Morning. I've been featured in Playboy. That's always fun to say. And so, yes, we are very, very active. We're on on social media. That is the best way to reach out to us. Uh, We are also active on Meetup. That's where we post our our events, even the virtual ones, because that's 
that we found that that is the best way to engage folks. Uh, we've also tabled at various events, uh, even though, yes, many find it to be very taboo and, and intimidating to state that they're an atheist, non-believer, humanist, free thinker. We've actually gone into, you know, that, 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 um, that, that lion's den, if you will, and put ourselves out there to say that we are open and uh, it's made all the difference. Um, I actually recall the first time we were uh, requested, the first time we were asked to do a video interview and some of our members were almost deathly afraid to speak on camera. Uh, but what ended up happening there was people started to empathize with what the members went through. They started to understand our, our perspective. And in doing so, the more, the more inquiries that we, that we got, uh, the more people wanted to speak. And so that, that, that really told, um, you know, that really told about, you know, the story of our growth and how we cultivated community in that. So it really has made a huge difference in just being out there, even for those who can't be, uh, even if those of us can represent for, for, for the others who still are in that closet, uh, then we're making a difference. From my point of view, the secular humanist, the free thinker, the activism has just exploded in the last, I'd say, five years even. Things have really gotten crazy um, Yes, with, with people being willing to say, yes, not only am I a non-believer, but I want people to know that I'm a non-believer. I'm not going to be quiet when someone posts something on Facebook and says, I just got an A on this test. Everybody, everybody say amen. You're like, I'm actually not going to say amen. I'm going to say well done. It's all you. Absolutely. There's nobody else in the room. <laughs> right. And it goes beyond this, the, the scope of being comfortable with stating that you're a non-believer, because that is a part of our personal development, which yeah. is everyone has the right to do. Um, but also we speak up when we see that um, religion and, and other dogma is being uh, is being uh, infused and inserted into public policy, something that affects all of us when it when it, it when it interferes with our everyday life, when it interferes with reproductive justice, racial justice, we have we have not only is it the right, it is important for us to speak up on that and actually correct the folks who think that is okay, because it isn't. And so and then we find that there may be there are other religious folks who agree with us, and uh, and there there's been such a privilege among that community that they, they don't do they think we don't exist, and they need to know that we do, and they need to know that that privilege needs to change and go away. That they are not the only ones in this society, and and they're and they're not the only ones who actually you know who who care about um, about about human beings and such. There are those of us who do. And we don't have we don't have a God hanging over our heads. So, yes, it is important for us to speak up when we can, uh, not just for our own personal development and also how to have these conversations with others about our position, but also to speak up on the things that affect all of us as human beings. Yeah. Modeling behaviors so that other people see that there are other options is yes. a really big and important thing. That's, I think for me, one of the biggest issues I have with any believer, whether they be African-American or any person of any shade, is how their belief affects 
how the law, what laws are chosen and what laws are made and, and how people feel welcome uh, to express themselves. There's a huge cost for a lot of people to expose themselves and say, you know what, I've been questioning, even if they're not all the way through the journey, even if they're not to the point where they're willing to say, I'm no longer believing, the, the cost, the, the, the social cost, the, the stigma is, is so big. And seeing somebody else in the room who is willing to stand up and say, look, I don't believe that, and that's okay. I'm not telling you what you're believing is wrong. I would say that what you're believing is wrong, but you have a right to believe something that I think is wrong because I'm believing something you think is wrong, but that somebody in, somebody else sees that in the room and goes, wow, there you go. That is right. another person. That's a, a person I can emulate when, when I have a question, that free thinking guy or that free thinking woman. Absolutely. Everyone who is a non-believer, atheist, a humanist, their, their journey is important. However, when we look at those who come out of religion, those and and who are fundamentally who were fundamentally religious and they 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 go up against their churches they go up against their communities and start questioning the cost to them can be great and and it can be grave and there are many who have you know they they've lost their communities uh, especially if they grew up jehovah's witness you know you're you're excommunicated probably at the drop of a hat when you start questioning those beliefs and which can be um, very emotionally traumatic. It can be mentally traumatic. And so um, there, and, and this is what has been important about us building those communities and those safe spaces for people to know that they aren't alone and that um, there are, there are others who are either just like them or very similar and coming from that background, again, of being religious, it can be a bit more challenging. And so it is important uh, for those who feel like they've lost that community or they just don't want to be involved with them anymore, which can still take an emotional toll. It is important for, no for them to know that they can build a new family and a new support system out of it. Now, this is something that my uh, gay and trans friends have known for decades. Uh, you know, I've been ostracized because I've decided I'm going to live the life I want to live the way I want to live it. And that is in conflict with these people's beliefs. So I'm going to go out and make my own family. And seeing that that's, that that's a journey that you can make and survive. Absolutely. And when you come from communities that are just a, a bit more dogmatic, like if you're Black, gay, or trans, and, and oftentimes when your struggles are, are, are often erased, those that can be even more of a challenge because we have a lot of, of LGBT rep, LGBTQ representatives within our organization, and we are very pro-LGBTQ. Having those extra added layers of, of a challenge and dealing with societal stigmas and putting the atheist on top of that yeah. is just that much more. It can be that much more of a hill to climb when when we're when we're dealing with these uh, when we when we're dealing with these things. And that's yeah. what we just need for more people to understand that there is such an intersection with those identities and what with what we already go with 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 already 
what we go through. Um, it's, it's that you there mean, are. And I'm just, I just want to clarify, you're talking about just being a person of color in a racist society. Being, yes. Yeah, that. Yeah. And then also being, being, being gay or, or being, uh, being an atheist as well. Yeah. So uh, yes, there are often these, these extra challenges that we, that we have to deal with. That's the list of bad, bad cooties that the <laughs> religious people will go. Ah, tell me a little about what your vision is for, uh, you know, uh, black nonbelievers in the next 10 years. Where do you want to where do you see it going? I certainly would love for us to continue what we've already been doing. And even in the five years since we celebrated our fifth anniversary in 2016, we have connected with such organizations like the, Smith, the National Museum of African American Culture. Uh, they have been exploring what black, what religion looks like in the black community, especially amongst millennials. And they now understand that there are more non-believers in this mix. So we have been, you know, they have tapped us as a resource for, for representatives of our demographic. And uh, we've connected with the Religious Freedom Center on uh, and, and, and sharing our perspectives on religious freedom and what that means within the Black community. And uh, I certainly would love for us to expand to, to more cities, to have more people uh, involved and on the ground in their local neighborhoods, even if it's definitely just getting people together on a more social and support uh, level. Uh, we would like to expand on our on our, our community outreach. Uh, we co-founded the Zora Neale Hurston Scholarship Fund for Black college students with the Secular Student Alliance uh, that, that debuted in 2020. And so we would love to have more support for that. I mean, I would absolutely love for this to be a paid job for me and others. <laughs> you know? um, I, uh, I was working full-time um, up until uh, 2018. Uh, so I was working uh, in, in conjunction with running the organization until the activism uh, really took off. And so uh, at this point, it is still uh, volunteer fundraising is still a huge part of what we do in order to, uh, uh, in order to maintain our outreach. So I would love for us to be as, as a uh, prevalent in any community as any church is, uh, but that we are not just um, telling people to pray on things. Yeah. We're actually encouraging them to action, whether it is in, you know, in whatever form of community uh, building that they're or community activity that they're doing. So, um, you know, there are a, a multitude of things that we really would love to do that I would love to see us do more of for the next 20 years or for the next 10, 20, 30 years. 30, 50. Yes, because we have actually cultivated new leadership, uh, new activists. We've been involved in building content. We've contributed to the content of other authors and other um, and other uh, filmmakers. And so we would love to continue to do that. We, we want to continue to expand that narrative that we know is needed. What can we as allies, like I just, just like I do with the LGBTQ community, I'm an ally and I ask them, what can I do to be a good supporter, a good ally? What can I, as a cis white uh, guy from New York City who's living in Vermont, do to support your efforts and to be a, a good uh, ally? 
it is important definitely to listen, listen to our perspectives, listen to our experiences, listen to what we go through, and also listen to our advice on how to engage other religious Black folks or even other Black atheists, uh, because there are still other, there are still many who are overcoming those, those beliefs. And so it's important that you take in the information that 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 um, that is given, uh, especially as an ally. Uh, it's always important also to support and donate. <laughs> it is uh, it is important to donate to the work that we do because I am not ashamed to say that we are black centered. We do center. We we welcome everyone, um, and we do have other speakers that are non-white who, uh, you know, who participate with us uh, and support us and who also speak at our events. Um, but our, you know, our, our mission is to be Black-centered and to help cultivate that demographic. And it's needed, especially within our community where all, almost all of the resources are still very white and male-dominated, which there is nothing wrong with on its face, but there are other voices out there. There are other activists out there who could use, who definitely need the exposure and support. So, um, in in supporting our work in in bringing that out, really does make a difference, uh, and it allows us to do more. So, um, definitely, um, you know, I would recommend that any ally, and and also in checking their privilege, you know, making sure you ask the questions. Uh, um, also do some serious reflection. I personally don't like to do the whole uh, guilt thing because we're all still learning. There's a lot that we, um, you know, that, that many folks just didn't know. And, yeah. but now is the opportunity to do better and, and learn better. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, things, especially regarding privilege that, you know, you don't just have to always apologize for it, but once you know better, then you do better. And, and so listening and actually supporting and, and making sure that the voices who need to be heard um, are, are giving are. the space to be yes. heard. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's great advice. One of the things that I do as a, an intellectual is I try to learn about the real actual history of America and the real history of, uh, you know, the slave trade, uh, the ending of the slave trade in the late, eight, the late 1700s, early 1800s, because we had enough African-American slaves that by bringing in more slaves from Africa, we were cutting down on the domestic trade. I mean, I think it's important for people to take it upon themselves to learn our history. I don't think you can have an opinion about a country, a foreign country, unless you know where it is on the map, what the capital is, who the most recent president is, and something about the history, like colonial history. And then I'll listen to you have an opinion about it. I feel the same way kind of about other communities within America. If I don't take the time to know enough, then having an opinion is uninformed and I should shut up and listen. <laughs> right. It's on the onus of us all to do that research. You don't have to be black to know black history. That's right. You, you it's really, our history. really don't. It is. It yeah. is important to American history, uh, the accomplishments of, of black folks and the resilience and the struggle. It really does affect all of us. And it's important for for, for people to know how that has impacted this country and this economy about um, 
having a system of enslavement where 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 there were people who built this country for no pay at all and no credit and who also had to suffer through it how this has this, how this has built america and how the mistreatment of those communities and those people has been a part of america since its beginning yeah. and so for those who look at America as being, you know, this this great country, and I'm not saying that it isn't, but there's also been that side, that ugly side that so many of us have had to endure and learn about. And uh, it's important to have that balance, not to uh, make people feel burdened in any way, but that the, they, they, they're looking at the reality and they see that and, and they understand that there's still a lot that needs to be done. There's still a lot that needs to change and that there is, we have the ability to do it. Mandisa, I could go on for hours and hopefully at some time in the future, you and I will sit down at a conference that we can be at in person. Yes. <laughs> I can I can buy you a, a drink, either alcoholic or, or non, depending on what your preference is. And we could chat about just about anything. I know you have this huge conference coming up uh, next week. Um, tell us a little about the conference, uh, just so we have the information about it. We'll be posting all this information. Um, it'll, this won't be airing until after the conference, but right. you know, I'm sure you'll have post-conference information. Um, tell Absolutely. us a little about the the the, uh, the tenth anniversary uh, celebration. Yes. So our 10th anniversary celebration is going to be a hybrid event. It's going to be a smaller in-person event where we are complying with safe, safety and social distancing guidelines. And it will also be streamed. Uh, there will be a, a streaming component there. We will be video recording this event and the sessions will be available on our YouTube channel. So your support is still needed to make this event uh, successful and that um, we have and, and to ensure that we have more events to come in the future. So we will be featuring a variety of speakers from organizers to activists to uh, filmmakers to um, authors, those who are have been very, very active uh, within within the community, and they also they also have resources, and they also have uh, information that is vital to our communities. And so, it really does show the diversity of our organization and what we've been cultivating for the past ten years, and 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 the many and the many arms of the movement that we engage. Uh, so. So uh, this will be a reflection of that. It will be a mixture of education uh, and, and fun as well. Uh, we want people to be engaged. We want people you know, to be informed. And we also need for people to support. This will just be more of a representation of our organization and our community. Great. What day is it? Uh, the, uh, the event itself will take place from January 15th through the 17th. The streaming sessions will take place on January 16th, starting at 9 a.m. Central, and will be a half day on Sunday the 17th. So okay. you can register to stream that event online. Okay, great. Thank you so much for taking your time and, and letting us know more about your organization and, and why you founded it. And uh, I encourage everyone to go and check out the uh, Black Nonbelievers website. Um, and also uh, check out, just type in Mendisa Thomas and, and, and check out uh, the number of uh, different media that are out there with you saying awesome stuff. I, I originally saw you on, um, I believe it was the, uh, 
the uh, atheist experience uh, yes. something like four years ago uh, three years ago uh, and I've, I've been a big fan ever since so thank you for taking time out to to talk to us thank you once again for having me i really appreciate the opportunity great and this is chris west west for when humans attack until next time have a good day